If you don't like it, the world you're living in, take a look around. At least you got friends. You see, I called my old lady for a friendly word. She picked the phone, dropped it on the floor. Ah, ah, is all I heard. Are we going to let the de-elevator bring us down? Oh, no. Let's go crazy on the podcast. I'm Tom, but you're more than welcome to call me Mr. T. I'm one half of a couple of putts and thrilled to have a couple of new mini golf designs out in the world as the weather has gotten nicer, including a Minnesota State Fair themed course that during this podcast or after this podcast, I'll be going out and playing a few times this weekend at the time of recording. You can find all the mini golf designs, reviews, and more for myself and the Pink Putter at a couple and on social media at couple putts. If you're looking for course and whole design work, we actually have a little bit opening in our schedule, maybe? So check out minigolfdesigners.com and reach out to us or buy some merch over at minigolfgoods.com. We have the uh, t-shirt that I'm spotting as we record it, which you can't see because this is an audio only <laughs> format that says, I'd rather be mini golfing. And maybe you want one of those shirts? That's where you go, minigolfgoods.com. I'm Pat, the co-founder of the mini golf website and social media conglomerate, The Putting Penguin. And after visiting Tom and Robin up in Minnesota, I do feel like I need a bit more purple in my life. You can find all of our Penguin mini golf antics by looking for Putting Penguin on most of the major social media outlets. And while you're out there scrolling, don't forget to check out things like the World Mini Golf Sport Federation's pages to stay on top of worldwide mini golf and also follow the podcast mini accounts. Finally, since you're clearly in love with our podcast, make sure you're liking, subscribing, giving us a great review wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. You know this already, but I'll just remind you because this is the official podcast of the American Mini Golf Alliance, the AMA. The two of us are co-founders of this organization, and we're working to grow the game of mini golf in all its many forms across the U.S., if you love mini golf and want to join us in some fun, become a new member for free at amaminigolf.com. As a reminder, membership remains free through 2023. Thanks to our member sponsor, Walkabout Mini Golf VR. Thank you, Walkabout. Looking forward to seeing y'all in the UK. And also, we want to thank once again Pingvin for sending us over some Euro-style mini golf balls. They had sent us over a number of them. And we'll have a few of those to be giving away in later tournaments during the AMA season. If you're curious about picking up one of those European-styled balls or rubber-faced clubs or even some other mini golf goodies you really can't get much in the United States, go to pingvin, P-I-N-G-V-I-N hyphen minigolf, one word, dot D-E. They're based in Germany, but they have pretty reasonable shipping rates and your browser should translate the German so you can kind of figure out what you're ordering. You can pick up some goodies that you can have fun and try out on your mini golf course at home. I was just telling Pat before this, I tried out the clicker that I had got from Pingvin earlier today at Lilliput, and I was like, oh, now I know why people use these mini golf balls over in Europe. Pick the right ball, play it on the right hole, and uh, all of a sudden, a hole that's like a 20% hole-in-one goes to 50 or better. It's a big deal. So check out Pingvin. Thanks for sending some goodies and uh, supporting what we're doing and uh, our mini golf endeavors. 
We're going to jump right into some news, but we're going to focus the majority of this episode on the world crazy, so stay tuned for that. But as of right now, kind of an interesting big news thing is, is that Holy Moly has not announced that they've been renewed, and we don't have a season five that is even cast right now. As far as we know, people that were in the casting process had it all paused last fall around... September, October, and no one's really heard anything. We hope things get going, but I don't know. If they're going to be recording overseas, I'm betting that we do not see Holy Moly in any way, shape, or form until maybe the winter holidays at this point. I could be being a little pessimistic, but with a writer's strike as well, I have a feeling Holy Moly is going to be on the shelf for a little bit, but fingers crossed it's coming back. Who knows? I mean, the, the only positive thing we can also look to is that there hasn't been an official announcement that it's been canceled either. So we're in this limbo, which is better than nothing. It's true. There is that. And the only thing that we have to go by, holy moly, kind of advancing is that a fabrication shop in Australia was sharing some stuff on TikTok probably a couple of months ago, but... Nothing on that. And as far as the USPMGA goes, we don't have any other event on the schedule as far as we know besides the Masters. I know when I looked over at the Mossy Creek website that their Tennessee Open is a USPMGA event, and I would guess that the Red Putter is also under the USPMGA umbrella, but on the USPMGA website, they don't have that, and we don't have another World Putting League event on the calendar. So it'll be interesting to see when one comes up, but I would assume or hope that even if it's in Myrtle Beach, they're going to give a couple of months heads up if it's happening, because unlike the last event, you actually had the US Open where you could be driving people there. I think it's going to be really hard to add another event with the pop stroke events, with putt-putt events, and everything else that's going on in competitive mini golf. I don't know how many more times people want to go to Myrtle Beach, and I'd be surprised if they're going somewhere else and making an event of it because there's not really any other cities with that many people unless they're doing a pop stroke event. No, but if you do it at any time now, too, you're in prime tourist season in Myrtle Beach, too. You aren't that too. in the shoulder seasons of the off season. So, yeah, I mean, you're thinking we're recording this, was this May 25th? I mean, you would think the earliest would be end of June or early July based on how they have announced previous WPL events and kind of the lead time, yeah. but there's nothing on their website. And I know they were shooting for what, like seven events this year, but there ain't that much time between now and the masters either. And I can't imagine them trying, I'm well, I can't imagine them trying to do something the week of the masters too, which would be insane. But um, Wednesday night, I'm putting money on it the Wednesday night of it, which to me, hey, maybe feels... I'll have a chance of playing one. I would sign if it's Wednesday night. I would absolutely try to play that one because I'm going to be down there and I got nothing right? to lose either way. <laughs> but it'll be interesting to see what the criteria is to play it because there were a lot of people at the U.S. Open that I would have thought, if they were given the opportunity, would have played on Rumble for a WPL event. So, what the criteria sure. is at this point is still sort of undetermined. I think they want to try to get new and unique players who may not have been featured in the USPMGA to play on it, but 
that is all wild speculation. So let's get to something that does not have wild speculation. And a couple of putts hosted our newest mini golf tournament in the state of Minnesota. And normally when we're talking about mini golf in Minnesota to give the recap, I'm the one pretty much going through it. And Pat's kind of like, yeah, I've been following what's going on, (laughs) but I'm going to turn it over to Pat to kind of give an overview of the Looniest Mini Golf Open because Pat, as he alluded to earlier, was in Minnesota and played in the tournament. Yeah, might have done okay, I think, if I look at the results. So, yeah, we did have, so it was your first tournament that you did three rounds on. So all in one day, we didn't have any of the qualifying and stuff that we've seen in some of the other tournaments. It was at the Loon's Nest course, which is at Island Lake golf course so you got nice it. complex and everything yeah see i'm, I'm getting our, my stuff down there uh, we ended up with 12 pros three amateurs so not a huge crowd but i would say that your pro and your amateur was a lot of people who've been playing in the putt craft have familiarity with the yep. course yeah yep. for me showing up it was definitely walking a little bit into the lion's den you guys had some home court advantage there weather held Absolutely. out for us which was cool um despite there being Barely. some rain yeah we, we played both our practice and then the actual event in between like pouring rain so the uh the weather gods worked out for us but uh yeah at the end of the day i did i did okay i came in there and shot a few scores under 42 and, and walked away uh, what was it four strokes clear of the winner five strokes clear of the winner something like that at the end of the day <laughs> so in the very first looniest mini golf open uh pat sheridan was our first place winner and so pat had alluded to puttcraft earlier which is our local minnesota mini golf league that kind of bounces around from venue to venue across the state throughout the year and we have like regular just there are league events they just happen to be at different courses they're all two rounds they're not any longer but you know when you have a lot of events you kind of figure out who are some of the top players and pat came in against all of them and in the previous only two events that we had at loon's nest and i had talked about last podcast that we haven't really played the course that much or really learned all the idiosyncrasies of it top score was a 42 and pat shot a 42 40 and 42. And so shooting the 42 and 40 was already wild going into it. But uh, second place was actually a tie between Sean Brown and Matt Rolstad, who Sean came back in his final round with a 39 and Matt with a 40 to really like set some wild high scores. And then on top of it, I came back in my third round after having two pretty lackluster first rounds for my own like I don't know, for my own self, came back with my personal best of 40, which I would have been really happy with if it wasn't for the fact that I was playing with Eric Casillas, <laughs> who went into the round with the same score as me and then shot the course record of 37, including a 15 on the front nine. And I think he may have only had one bogey on that course. So, um, Which is amazing considering... I So I played with Eric the first two rounds and he what, shot... 47 47 i think the, yep. those first two rounds have managed to drop his score by 10 whole strokes for that final round and tie the course record which i mean that's just awesome a 15 on that front nine is uh, i i'm the scores will come down there obviously as you guys play there yeah. more and, and learn all the different things but i don't think you're going to be seeing a whole lot of 15s consistently on the front nine there 
No, he had three aces and he got a two on hole number four that I was surprised that we saw any twos on it, really. I think you got one as well, Pat? I got one in the final round, yeah. That's right. And so Eric's score in that last round was good enough to tie him for fourth with the course manager, Ryan McCormick, who Pat was paired with in the final round. But in our tiebreakers, uh, Matt uh, Rolstad and Sean Brown played a tiebreaker for second and Ryan McCormick and Eric Casilius played for fourth. You can find that video at a couple of putts.com slash looniest as well as photos. But Sean Brown came ahead in second, winning on the second tiebreaker hole. Uh, and it was a best of two, or it was a two hole tiebreaker, but he won by one stroke. And then Ryan McCormick just uh, eked out a win versus Eric Casilius on their second hole, winning by one stroke as well. Uh, they did. Uh, really challenging 17 and 18 to finish it off. So that was your uh, top five. And then we had, for the first time ever, an amateur division in any of a couple of putts events. And we had three show up. And my wife, Robin Schwartzman, the pink putter, came out on top. And the funny thing is, is there's a couple of people in the pros that honestly, I was like, well, maybe they could play an amateur. But Robin's score was uh, above them. I mean, even the guy who was the current course record holder was third from the bottom uh in the pro division and would have only won amateur by one so it was a pretty impressive showing robin uh got first and got a trophy that she made herself uh <laughs> nick windick came in second he had showed up because of our friends at walkabout mini golf he played it and came out and played in real life and for a first time playing at a competitive mini golf event, did really well. And then Jason Peterson, who's played in a number of a couple of putts events and is qualified to get in the championship, took a shot at amateur and he got third. That was his first time, I think, on a podium. And I hope that gave him a little bit of confidence, but it was fun to celebrate him and his excitement for the game. He might have had the highest score, but he's one of those people who's been working on his game and had some really good moments. And I was really excited for him. So, Overall, it was great. Uh, there was lots of things learned from the event, but Pat, you give it some color because as an organizer, I think it was a little in my own head and trying to balance too many things. But your yeah, I mean, I'm very curious. No, I mean, you did fine for the first time trying to manage all that, and you're you're doing repairings after the second round and and all that stuff that goes on with it. I mean. We, we did have a group of people kind of knew their way around a tournament too. So everybody was pretty chill with it. But I, I will say that course, the more I think about it and, you know, I know we'll talk a little bit about some of the other courses and having now had a chance to play Lily putt and I haven't played golf zone yet, but you know, the three tournaments that you play, you know, I think this one from a outsider perspective or for people who may be more into like the, the more adventure golf style of competitive mini golf. It's easy to get to Minneapolis because it's a hub. It was, mm -hmm. you know, I know you were driving me around all weekend, but it did it seem to be that bad of a drive through the city and, and stuff. So like, mm -hmm. I'm hoping this one, if you guys continue to do it, especially at that time of year, we may be able to build up and I'd encourage people who are listening. Like it was a pretty easy trip in and to be able to do it. I mean, I flew out, Sunday morning. So I was back home. You know, I came in Friday. The course has a lot of idiosyncrasies, but obviously I would manage to learn it pretty quickly. And I think most people who play a lot of mini golf 
at least we'll be able to figure out those areas to stay out of trouble. And I think if you do that on that course, anybody who's got a lot of experience has a decent shot at, you know, shooting. Now, again, we played on a slower course, which I think for that course helps a little bit, although there's definitely holes that makes it a little bit tougher, like hole nine, at least the a shot that I was taking, I was having a lot harder chance getting it to the cup because it was slow, but that's fine. I was Mm -hmm. happy the way they played it. But there's a couple holes there where I could see a faster green benefiting, but then there's a couple other holes where it's like, oof, like, you know, I think of yes. like 14, it, you could go back and forth on that cup on your deuce putts yep. really quick on a fast green. So I think the challenge is there for people who really want, and I don't think there was really, you know, there, there's some places where the carpet's a little funky or hole four, you know, where you've got that kind of two tier where it is tough yeah. to get the two, but like, I don't know, you know, the course in New Jersey at bluegrass has a couple weird things like that too. So if you're okay with that, I think this one, we, we can get some other people out there and get it to play. I think it was really good. Like I said, you, you guys did a good time for the first go around. Um, and I think, I think the pace of play was good too. That's the other thing. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly with people who are somewhat familiar with the course, it wasn't that slow, but you really didn't have too many like big scores. I mean, sh- I took a five on the 15, which was a outlier there. But as, as difficult as the course was, it plays pretty quickly, which I think, yeah, I think to like put you, I like is a similar style difficulty, but I feel like it just plays a little slower. Yeah. 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 I mean, for context, we had still seven holes across three rounds that didn't get aced. And our local Puttcraft League, which uh, kudos to Reed Nelson, who's run that league. He finally got to come out and play it. He does a great job in running his own league and keeping track of stats, which I think he, you know, makes it harder for him to play. And we've talked about that, that it's hard to be both organizer and player. So I was glad to have him out and get that perspective of how hard it really can be to make those putts that are four or five feet away. And of course, it just looks like, oh, this person's just blowing it, but idiosyncratic courses it can just go away but yeah we had you know Puttcraft played two events there it's only been online for a little over a year and they only had one more hole in hole number three that had been aced in uh our local league so only six of them have been aced in or six of the holes have not been aced in a competitive event now there are some that i've watched people get aces on like hole number 17 I know that I've aced 15, but it's just never fallen in our league. And I think when warmer weather days, it is. But by and large, the aces don't come frequently. No matter what the condition in the course is, if you get three aces in a round, like Eric did in that final round, he came out top aces leader with four. So he only had one between those first two rounds. And that last round when he carded them all, that, that made all the difference. Now you, I believe in one of your 40 or 42 rounds, you didn't card a single ACE. The 40 round, I didn't have an ACE. My ACEs were in rounds one and three, which, which doesn't make it that much different than like Matterhorn, right? We do not have a lot of ACEs there either. So it's, but it's similar in that they could happen. I mean, except for it, I would say 16 at loons. There's no way anybody's acing that. I don't, like purposely acing that with the way 
that hole. But like the rest of them, like you said, yeah, 15 could run out. 17, I've seen it happen. Like six and 18 can definitely happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's just like, I, I think the, the key is for the people who have experience is knowing what my ace line is that if I miss it, I'm now not five feet away from the cup. I'm only two feet away from the cup and just kind of churning through that. And if you do that, you'll be fine on that course. But that's, you know, that's something that's learned from a lot of experience sometimes, especially because some of those aces certainly are, are tasty out there. Like you feel like I, like, I feel like hole seven should be one that gets aced all the time just because, but it's not, it's just the way the the wall is and everything, but you can get, greedy and end up in a place that's not nice whereas like i think all of my whole seven putts were within about a foot and i was like hmm, yep walk away and i'll go deal with hole eight next i feel like our guest sevi kukielka from the way he's talked about what kind of courses he likes i think he would really like a loon's nest as well but i'm curious more because pat it was your first time in minnesota <laughs> and i think in trying to figure out competitive mini golf it's Interesting doing it based out of Minnesota, just growing up in Minnesota. We've had some odd and unique courses like Lilliput, where we've held our annual big tournament, as well as we have some really novelty courses in uh, Uptown Collab that used to be called Arts and Rec and CanCam Wonderland. So I'm curious to get your kind of quick appraisal of some of you played all those courses, Lilliput. Loon's Nest, Uptown Collab, CanCan, Minnesota Mini Golf. What, what's kind of your appraisal from that weird smattering? <laughs> that I mean, it's definitely unique. I mean, now granted, we didn't search out like I don't even know if you guys have any, but you know, the, the most boring of Harris courses that could possibly be out there. I mean, Loon's Nest is probably the closest to something, but like CanCan. I mean, CanCan is just like pure chaos energy and it's it's wonderful <laughs> and it's exciting like not just the course itself but you obviously got all the games and stuff that happen around there it is just super fun to play but you know i, I could see a lot of more traditionalist mini golfers it's almost in a way not that it is all at all comparable in terms of the way the holes are set up and everything but it kind of has that like mount atlanticus like you are you are in something that you don't normally see anywhere else and you have to have that mindset like with mountain Atlantic, you know mountain Atlantic's holes are so yes. long and crazy and why like you're just not going to see that anywhere else and it's not going to play but it was super fun and i love the designs um arts and record uptown like is probably a step down from that and obviously i know it's the same people hmm. who you know made all of that but like that one felt a little bit more and i have been racking my brains to figure out if i played a course like that but almost from like a like a putt shack or something where the the holes mm. are um you know singular in their design for that hole whatever it may be as a Minnesota representative and they played sure. i mean there was a couple holes that played really weirdly but the the feel of the course felt like more of a mini golf course than CanCan <laughs> did um yeah and well, and also what Uptown's only nine holes, Kinkan's eighteen, right? Correct. So, um, but it it was fun, and I it, it felt. I mean, there was some interesting stuff in in there. I liked Kinkan a little bit better, uh, just from the the grandioseness of it. And then Lilliput, 
I've only probably played one or two courses similar in vain to that, but nothing with the length that <laughs> Lilliput has. Like I've definitely played courses that have used those angles and the rocks and things in that type of style that's not necessarily like a Harris style or a you know castle golf. Like it is very unique with the brick and everything, but Lilliput's got distance on some of those holes and i don't know what they their par is up around 60 right or something yeah which you know even for experienced players i mean i was in the i know we've been in play two holes but we were tracking like towards low 50s for that and i was like pretty good for that course first time out um, yeah, you crushed it. You you hit two of the more aceable holes, but I think you aced ten. I aced jump, ten, which, which is yeah. As much as I would love to say that's like, well, that's just showing up your skill. Pure it's luck. like everybody, yeah, at our league. It's like even if you hit it right with that weird angle of the jump that they have, it's really hard to hit it consistently. It's just a yeah. idiosyncratic yeah. hole that drives the, the only skill there is kind of knowing that, okay, well, it's a weird, like you've played, I mean, I've never played a hole exactly like that, but you kind of understood, well, I'm not going to just hit it as hard as I can. Cause I got to get it over. Yes. Cause that's going to go. But there was that one, I think has an interesting challenge from a, competitive perspective in terms of like well how well can i place a ball in a certain area yes because you are so much it's almost like actually some of the walkabout courses in a way of yes and i think like just playing uptown uh the other day had like whole three is kind of like that where like well i just want to place the ball here so i'm not going in like the weird shoot things up Yep. And so I have an easy two, and I feel like Lilliput is a lot of that. There's some aces, obviously, that are out there, but it's less like, well, I'm just going to whack it across the, the triangle and see how hard I can get it around, but more like, I want to really land that first shot here, which is, I guess, almost even closer to real golf in a way. Like, I've got a landing zone, and how do I pull it in? So it was... there. Very little like those four courses combined could you do in anywhere else of the country in the same weekend without like driving multiple hours. So you guys definitely have that (laughs) going for you. It is it is something that in Loon's Nest being 25 minutes away and frankly, all of those courses is really nice. Uh, And we're glad to host stuff there. We'll talk more about Lilliput with the miniest mini golf open that will be happening in September Uh, But we have more mini golf to talk about. And I think what we're going to do here is instead of going through our whole recap, let's jump into our interview now with our special guest, Sevi Kukielka, who's coming on in advance of the World Crazy Golf Championship in Hastings in the UK because myself and my wife are going to be traveling there a week from today that we're recording So we're not going to have another podcast before it, so we want to really cover that. And when we get back from the interview, we're going to talk about a number of other international and big national tournaments to wrap up the show. And you can putt when ready. We are thrilled on the podcast to have one of the top players in the UK in mini golf, Sevi Kukielka from Wales to talk with us about 
the World Crazy Golf Championship. Is that the name? Wait, is it the World Crazy Golf Championship? Yep. World okay. Crazy Golf Championship. Yep. See, I, I can't even get, I, I'm, I'm, I'm such like a novice. This is why I'm playing novices. So the crazies. So, I mean, they, they call it the world crazy golf championship, but it's literally the only crazy golf championship. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Savvy Kukielka. Hey, nice to be here, guys. Um, really looking forward to uh, discussing the, uh, the big event coming up. And I, and I know you're coming down, Tom, so should be a great. Great weekend. I cannot wait. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. And in full disclosure, I'm also playing in the team event with Sevi and Steven Skinner on a walkabout mini golf sponsored team, the Bogey Boys. And part of the reason I want to get some tips and uh, knowledge on the World Crazy Golf Championship, the crazies. It's because I don't want to let down my teammates uh, any more than I might already. <laughs> so we're going to talk on this episode about what is probably the largest field of any mini golf tournament in the entire world. This year, they're expecting 200 players. And maybe you can even help me with this really basic question, Sevi. So they said there's 200 players, but if there's three different groups out that go out to the course on 18 holes... Three people on each hole, that's 54 people a group, but there's only three groups? That's 162. Do you know, is there just a huge junior contingent, or is there more people playing yes. the team's event? So as far as I know, they're including that the juniors in that hole as well. I think there's about 20 juniors at, at present signed up, and I know that there'll be some players in the team tournament that won't actually be playing in the main event. So I think that's where that number comes from. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I was just like, where's the fourth heat? How are they going to get all these people on the course? So that answers one of many questions. But before we go too deep in the weeds, let's talk to our host just a little bit more about his background in mini golf because maybe either you're not familiar with the competitive mini golf world at all haven't been paying attention to the UK competitive mini golf world that you don't know who Sevi is, but Sevi, can you kind of give an introduction to yourself by just talking about how long you've been playing competitive mini golf? Yeah, of course. So I started playing uh, way back in 2006. Uh, so I kind of got involved when uh, my whole family, really, we, we started looking for tournaments to play in and we came across a, a local event which was run by the uh, the BMGA, British Mini Golf Association. And it wasn't too far away. So we just all thought, let's have a go. And um, it all kind of went from there. And here I am, whatever it is, 16 years later, still playing. Um, so yeah, it's kind of got to a more extreme level these days. I mean, I'm now kind of playing abroad, what seems like every month. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of jumped up from just kind of touring the UK. But yeah, thoroughly enjoying it, thoroughly enjoying it. And um, I'm look, looking forward to any event I go to now is a, is a delight just, just to see different places around the world, meet different players. It's just, just a great experience. And uh, yeah, hope to continue it. 
And staying on the family theme, your mother, Cindy, is also playing in the world crazy. Are any of your other family members still playing competitive mini golf? So no, uh, it's, it's difficult these days because as many people know, I, I, I do run a course. I own a course mm-hmm. in Gloucester. Um, so it's become difficult whenever I'm playing an event. Usually my, my, uh, my parents or my brother are covering me, which is I'm very thankful for. Um, so, unfortunately, they don't get a chance to play in many things anymore. Um, so, yeah, my mum kind of made the last last minute decision to uh, to go to Hastings. She got she actually got the last spot. So, uh, no, she loves it. Uh, so, they'd all like to play more, but they just can't because I'm selfish and I uh, I go away <laughs> too often. <laughs> It, it really does uh, represent how many of us, in order to play competitively, have other family members who are making some sort of sacrifices to do it. I'm sure, Pat, you know that all too well with your family and yeah, traveling. We, uh, yeah, I mean, we switch off. My wife does archery tournaments, so it's like it's kind of the same thing like who's covering who and who's going to the tournament so but luckily we don't have to compete for the same tournaments because i would be rubbish at archer and she no way wants to play more than one round of mini golf at a time yeah no I'm, well so you talk about you've been playing for 16 years one was the first time you played in the crazies and how many times have you played now right so this will be i, I actually had to look this up and I, I thought this question would be coming um so this is my 10th 10th event which actually I wasn't aware I'd actually played in nine. So I, I thought I thought it was less than that. This is my 10th time. Um, uh, first one was 2007. Uh, had a little break then from 2009 up until 2015. And then ever since 2015, I've played every year. Wow. So as people may or may not know, the World Crazy Golf Championship, this is the 20th anniversary this year. So you will now have played in half of them. As far as the tournament goes, was it something else before the last 20 years? Because it's played on an older Arnold Palmer course down in Hastings on the south coast of England. And I imagine they've had to have hosted tournaments before then? Yeah, they they did host... I believe a few other tournaments before the crazies. I think competitive mini golf started in around 98. So I'm sure they did have a number of events in Hastings. But the, uh, the first World Crazies in 2003 was held on the, on the current course. I mean, there has been some modifications, but uh, it's still, still on the original site. So there's a bit of history there. But I know the early days, we used to play on two courses. So the, the tournament was held over, uh, held on the crazy course and on the old mini mini golf course. Uh, and I think since 2010, that that was amended. So it was just a one, a single course tournament then from 2010 onwards. About how big was the field in that first one that you played in 2007? This is actually Wikipedia figures. I don't know if they're going to be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be close enough for purposes of the answer yeah. in conversation. That's funny. I mean, whenever, whenever I search for the World Crazy Golf Championship, the Wikipedia comes up right next to the Hastings uh, listing. I don't know how accurate these, these Wikipedia entries are, but it says 77 players played in 2007. Wow. So still a fair number. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that was going to lead to the question. So roughly you're talking more than double in size over the, the past, whatever, 15 years that you're doing it. Do you, as a player, do you feel that as the tournament gets bigger and bigger? You know, I'm thinking about like most of the opens, most of the masters I've played have been roughly the same size. Some of our local tournaments have grown, but like, I don't know that I've ever played in a tournament that's had that sort of exponential growth where I've played year over year and be interested to see like, do you, does it affect you at all? Do you think about it at all? Are you just happy that you've got 199 other people out there playing mini golf with you? Well, actually like back in the early days, they did kind of have, have an exponential growth, growth of people. And then that kind of plateaued out um, around like 2011, 2012. And then the numbers started dropping. Uh, so but back in those early days, like I said, it was played over two courses. So you kind of didn't get the the feeling of a big event because obviously the, the field was spread out between, you know, two courses. Whereas now it's, you know, everyone's on top of each other, one all on one course. Um, but yeah, like I said, it kind of, the, the interest dropped um, like the mid, mid 2010s. And then it kind of had a resurgence uh, specifically, specifically when they, uh, moved the kind of the, the tournament slot to the summer because it was traditionally in the October, October, oh, end of October that's slot. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So they moved it to the summer. And then I think from there, the interest just kept rising year on year. And now we're at a level where, you know, 200 unique players. So it's, it's almost becoming, well, we've hit max capacity. Let's just say that. So I don't know what they're going to do in future. Moving it to the summer, maybe they're able to catch people that are on holiday or summer vacation. Is that the case, or is just the British Mini Golf Association tour growing that much that most of the people people playing are knowns in the in the field? Is that the case, or is it just a lot of people? That's like the one event that they come out to a year, or just they might try it once and then never play again. Yeah, exactly that. So they've really kind of pushed the the whole novice uh, tournament these last few years. Uh, so that obviously attracts a good 70, maybe 70, 80 first-time players. Um, wow. So occasionally you'll, you might get five to 10 that will kind of play, play another event, which, you know, and then turn out to be tour regulars. I mean, the last few years we've we've gotten some really good players that have, become regular players about half the field like i said will be will be first time players well i mean it's it highlights and i'm sure tom will talk about what he's going to do when he comes over but i mean it just highlights how important having that like novice or amateur or introductory division is to some of these tournaments because even if you're getting five out of 70 a year to join the tour it's it's more growth than we're seeing in a lot of other places yeah exactly i mean they the experience that they have is you know, it's usually a positive one as well. I mean, the tournament is really well run. Um, you know, it's a whole whole load of fun. Everyone's super welcoming. Like all, all the all the existing players, you know, are so helpful. And I think on the whole, ninety nine percent of new players, you know, have a great experience, and that's what we want really, just to, to get more people playing. Yeah, and the thing that I also enjoy is that you have a costumed bear mascot. That it, I, it's like a subtle but 
fun, inviting thing that I think when you look at competitive mini golf tournaments, they're super intimidating to the public at large. I mean, I've been doing a mini golf endeavor with my wife for years, but I've only been playing competitively for, I guess this is my third season. And a lot of the tournaments felt really intimidating and even something subtle like that can be uh, really nice. But I'm curious, since both myself, my wife Robin, the pink putter, and Aaron from O Street, we're all playing as novices this year, coming to play over in the UK. None of us have been there before. None of us have played this course, so we're all playing as novices. Obviously, we all have some mini golf experience, but none of us have finished like in a high place in a significant field. So as people that know how to play mini golf, we're not the person right off the street that's never played mini golf. What do you give for advice for us playing the World Crazies for the first time? That's difficult because you get all kinds of people entering the novice tournament. I mean, you hear of golfers, that, you know, really good golfers, big golfers that come in and think they can win it. And then they just get absolutely chewed up by the course because they, they just don't expect the quickness of it, the, you know, the, the putts breaking as they do. They just get caught out so easily. So that's uh, just the one piece of advice I'd probably give you is learn, you know, learn the second putts. I mean, twos are your friends. If you can just go, go around steady, steady getting those twos just to kind of hang on in there and get yourself in that last round, if you can, that crazy, crazy round where essentially anything can happen then when all balls are in play, three of you teeing off, and then further person goes, you can knock each other's balls out of the way. It's, it's a whole load of fun and anything can happen. So yeah, take your twos, make sure you stick, stick in with it, and yeah, you'll have a chance. And so it's only 18 holes, and... What would be a good score just in a single round for someone playing for the first time if you're thinking about it? Then are you saying like a 36 is solid or do you want to, or do you have a couple holes where you're like, you should get at least, you know, having watched Frank Bassesi has his Frankie Buckets YouTube channel. So I've taken a look at the course from there and it seems like most of the holes are aceable or an ace is possible. Given that's the case, like what's a, you know, what's a good score for your first time around? Well, it's it's really, with, they've refelted the course recently. Well, for last year, they refelted the majority of the holes. So it, it made the the 18 play quite easy. I mean, there were some danger holes where you had to watch out for. But within the last week, they've actually refelted those as well. So as far as I know, I think maybe 17 out of the 18 are refelted. So it's going to play as easy as it as easy as it, it's ever done the carpet will be slower and there'll be no metal cups apart from maybe on one hole so if you're a novice if you could probably get a 34 35 i think you'd be happy i'll take that i <laughs> i played with sevi in the city golf event in sweden and i averaged a 34 so uh, I know what that looks like. I know it's a very different style course. And so I have to ask, because I already mentioned that Frank's video is out there. What's the one hole that 
did not get recarpeted and has either a metal cup or an older cup. Well, that's hole one. You know. Yeah, hole, hole, one. hole one's still got the original quick carpet. But I wouldn't worry too much about that hole. I mean, it's not, there's not too much danger there. Um, so again, I don't, I think it's kind of a non entity that one. It's, it's kind of the main ones were hole five and hole seven, which were the hardest playing holes anyway. Mm -hmm. And with the, with the quick carpet and the metal cups, they just, they made them a nightmare. Um, but they've been redone now. So it's, you know, we'll see, we'll see how they play, but it's going to definitely make them a lot easier. And number five is the infamous windmill hole. And they had, they had released the pairings of who all's playing together. And I was able to share with my wife that that's the hole that she's starting on. And I'm curious to get your feedback. Is it better to start and get that out of the way for the windmill? Because I know that's like a little bit daunting one. But if you think about nerves for a first round, is that a good one to start on? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Just and just make sure you get it through. That's the main thing. You don't want to be hitting the windmill. Um, just get it through. And like I said, with with now the metal cup's gone, take your chances on your two. I mean, chances are you'll be quite a distance from the hole if you're just jabbing it through. Right. But just ensure you get it through because you don't want to be going, hitting the windmill, going back to the tee, hitting it again. Just make sure you get it through first time and then hopefully the nerves will settle then. But yeah, good one to get out of the way first. No, I mean, well, so I mean, we've talked a little bit about the the growth in the tournament and some of the things you know we we saw in terms of what helped drive that. But I'm curious, you know, you talked about you somebody who played a lot internationally. I mean, th this is a tournament that is golf ball only, um, so it's a I guess for Americans it makes it a little bit easier for us because that's about all we know at the end of the day. But um, do you, and I know obviously with like the crazy, crazy round, that probably makes it a little bit more, makes more sense if everybody's just using golf balls at that point than a bunch of mini golf balls. But I'd be curious, do, do you like that this tournament's golf ball only? Would you rather take a crack at it mini golf? Um, do you, I'm assuming, you know, you probably think that like the, the golf ball also adds to the ability for all of these other players, especially the novices to come in. But I guess personally, if you had your way, um, do you like it as a golf ball or mini golf ball? I mean, for sure, it's more. It's definitely more accessible and more appealing to to first time players that it's golf ball only. Um, for me, I mean, I prefer the multi ball tournaments, but that's just my preference. It's just what I've always played. So, but now, I mean, ever since I've started playing internationally and in America, um, obviously, golf ball tournaments are you know normal standard. So I've gotten used to it a bit more because in past this this would be the only event I would play with a golf ball. So huh. yeah, I like it. I don't mind it too much. Interesting. And we've alluded to it a number of times with the crazy round. And I think my dream slash hope is that in the novice division that I can make that crazy round. So Sevi, what's my strategy? If I'm in there, the way that it works with the crazies in general and pretty much I think most international tournaments, it's not alternating honors based on how you did in the hole before, but that it's actually the same order the whole course. And it actually makes a lot of sense for also their scoring system where you just pass the card on to the same person, you know, that just finished if you're scoring them. And then there's kind of an order to it and you just score in one scorecard. So in the crazy round, it gets 
a little bit turned on its head because you're all alternating who gets the tee shot because it's important. If you're hitting third, you have a very different approach to the cup because there's going to be other balls in the way. You People are not finishing out the hole. So what's your strategy for the crazy round? Because there's there's a lot of different ways you can play it. I know. So uh, first of all, you're, you're going to draw straws. Uh determine what kind of order you're you're going first on whether you you know tee off first on hole one or hole two mm. or whatever but yeah you you tee off first every every four holes or every three holes i should say um for strategy i mean if you're first out if you're first out i mean i guess it would be benefit you know if, if you're gonna miss leave it short so at least you're blocking the other two mm-hmm. um um I mean that it is a slight pain. It doesn't happen too often, but there there are occasions where it's happened where you get a direct your your ball is directly blocked with another ball, and you have no option. Although you don't want to, you know it's part of the game. You know you'll you'll just blast the other ball out of the way. Um, <laughs> again, there has to be some level of satisfaction every once in a while though when you do that like yeah, yeah. I, I know you don't i mean we're all we love our fellow participants and everything right we want to try to make it fair but at some point you just got to be like i'm gonna knock this guy clear out of the, the stadium exactly you have no other options sometimes um yeah i guess you can try and keep your nose clean and just kind of play super defensive and Play to the right, play to the right hole, play to the left of the hole, just play unusual lines. But I, I wouldn't say it comes into the equation too often. Mm-hmm. I just say play play a natural game and whatever situation arises, you know, it happens. Don't, don't overthink it too much. Sure. Is there a difference in strategies that you see out there not to get like too in the weeds on it? But are there some people when they play that are way more apt to like knock people out and other people who tend not to play that aggressively? I feel like it's a personality thing even that there's people that are a little bit, they don't want to upset kind of the general rhythm of everything. And when you're playing mini golf, you don't have to worry about that. But when you're playing in a crazy round, you're you're given that choice. And some people are like, well, I don't want to be a jerk. And there's other people like, finally i just get to like be the word i won't say in a podcast that i've always wanted to be on a mini golf course so is is that is is it clear that there's people playing with very different strategies i don't you know i think everyone's quite conservative when it comes to it i don't think anyone it's usually their last resort if they've got to knock some the ball out of the way you know, that'll be the last resort i don't think anyone goes out to do it i honestly don't um, <laughs> you need more Americans over there. <laughs> that we were we were talking about earlier when I was Tom and I were chatting earlier in the week about how you just need more Americans to come over there and cause trouble. And I feel like there is a swath of Americans who would not play conservative at all the way the folks from the UK would. <laughs> we were, I, I think, in that conversation on Facebook, we were exchanging Kenny Powers from Eastbound and Down gifts if you can get a sense of what that was like as, as as much as i think there's a part of me that finds that amusing i also probably would play pretty conservative because ultimately you probably have to take a pretty risky shot for your own position and you might miss someone else's ball just to do something silly versus just play the hole and 
treat the other balls as obstacles. There was one time. There was one time I decided to play aggressive, and there was no reason for me to to do it. But I thought, why not? It was the seventeenth hole. I think I was like one place outside the money or something, and I just thought I'm going to play aggressive. There was a ball in the middle, uh, just at the other side of the obelisk, which is hole 17. And I just thought, I'm going to absolutely smash it through the middle. It wasn't necessarily in my way, but I just thought I'd smash it and see what happened. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was just carnage. I smashed it, and it was detrimental to both me and my playing partner. So we both lost out in the end. So it was pointless, and that was the end of that. I was going to say, the, men, the many golf gods don't let you get away with stuff like that <laughs> no. for too long. The, the karma comes around. Yeah, exactly. I've I've only played it with the guys in New Jersey from O Street that sometimes play crazy rounds uh, when we're just getting together for fun. And then with you, Sevi, with our whole crew of seven people that tried to do it on Hans Olofsson's uh, signal course before the uh, City Golf event in Sweden, we tried to have seven people do it. And I think being the outsider, it was a really good spot because drinks were flowing. And I think some people really in a, a fun, casual gathering wanted to tee off and hit the other person's ball. And it's exactly what happened. It was just pure chaos. You're like, oh, looks like Marton's going to be playing from two holes over. And looks like Andrew also is going to be playing from one hole over. That didn't work out well for either of them. So it was it, it it's super fun, but it'll it'll be very interesting to see that in a very very serious tournament. Is that why they call it the crazies? Is just like that rule, or is it just because, if I'm correct, this is the you know Hastings, uh, Hastings mini golf. This they have three courses. They have the pirate course. They have an adventure golf course, and then this is the crazy golf course. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So crazy golf is, from my understanding, where you have courses with moving obstacles. So like, mm. like on the crazy course, you've got the windmill, and then you've got the water wheel. So, yeah. What is your favorite hole on the course? Favorite hole will be hole 14. <laughs> which is He's two humps. <laughs> well, not anymore, not anymore. Uh, so it's, it's two humps, over two humps, and then the hole sits on a plateau, square plateau. Uh, no particular reason, I just, I just like the hole. Actually, I was thinking of the one that had the quick drop-off, which I guess is 16. I start on 14 in my first round. Oh, okay, okay. Well, come see me and I'll, uh, I'll try and uh, help you out. <laughs> You know that's happening already. This is, <laughs> I, I, I can, I'm definitely going to need all the help I can get. I know Robin will be looking for any great advice on hole number five. And fortunately, she's paired with Frank Bassesi, who has played that course many times. So she'll have lots of people to uh, offer up great advice on their approach. And I, what I really liked when reading through the player pack that they sent out, the tournament is. The way the tournament works for novices is that all the novices and pros play the first day. And if the novices want to continue after the first day, they can just pay extra and do it. But the way that they pair them on that first day, they make sure that they're put together with the pro. So I think you're one hole ahead of me. And so I think you would probably be the pro in your group. 
Tiger Pragnall's the pro in my group, and he's been playing for a long time. And I don't know if Frank or someone else in Robin's group is considered the pro, but it's nice for those of us that haven't played on this course before that we're also playing with people who have some experience, whether or not people are going to be sharing at that point. I think it is a nice and reassuring thing, an inviting thing that's kind of cool and very intentional. It, are people kind of getting to that, uh, I guess there's a question somewhere in there, but is are people generous and supportive when they're out there playing during the tournament? Like what's the vibe? Is it just like every person for themselves? Is it really tight are people really loud like what's the vibe no 100 percent. i mean all similar to what i've experienced in america and all over europe everyone's really sharing and accommodating all the players will offer advice maybe not you know if you, if you ask for it of course they will but you know maybe someone won't tell you you know some, you have to ask some players some will give it you know without without inquiring but no, everyone's super nice. They'll, they'll, any help that you want, they'll, uh, they'll give. Uh, Pat, do you have to drop, or do you want to get one quick question in? No, I mean, I do have to drop, but I, I think you, we've covered everything that I really wanted to talk about. I know you got a few more things you probably want to cover here with Sevi to, to wrap it up. So, um, yeah, I wish I had a, a little more time, but uh, th this was great, Sevi. You get a chance to talk with you, get some insight. I'm looking forward to, to following both you guys and, and Robin and Aaron and, well, everybody and the, the crazies. But um, specifically, Tom, you know, I'll be living vicariously through him this year as he goes over there. So <laughs> it was a pleasure to hear your insight and um, oh. have a good rest of the evening over there. And you can putt when ready. So with the World Crazies, one thing that I've heard as kind of an extenuating circumstance that you have to consider is the weather because you really are on your seaside when you're playing mini golf. What can you say about that? Yeah, so, I mean, every year it's, it's a lottery, right? It's may, The main factor is the winds. I mean, that will cause havoc. Um, and again, you, you can't really forecast it in advance. So it's whatever you get on the weekend, um, we've had as bad as 40, 50 mile per hour winds, which, you know, wow. which is, was absolutely ridiculous. And as you can imagine, I think everyone, everyone's scores went to, uh, to the over par. And I don't <laughs> think we had any on the under. I think Holy except crap. Olivia, except Olivia. I think that was the year Olivia. Of course. I won it by a huge margin, and she was the only player under par. But yeah, generally the wind, of course, no one likes playing in the rain, but wind and rain is even worse than wind. So uh, you're looking to avoid that. But from uh, from early early forecasts are looking good. Looking to be about 25 degrees centigrade, whatever that is in Fahrenheit. I do not know, but it's looking nice. And for those of you stateside, that is 77 Fahrenheit, which is pretty great, especially for the summer where in the States, I've definitely played in tournaments that are closer to 30 centigrade, which is in the 80 to 90 range. Uh, is it humid or dry down there? No, it's dry. Dry. Not humid at all. The last two years have been like literally perfect conditions. It's been full sun, minimal wind, but it's been... Like perfect mini golf conditions. So hope hope for the same this year. 
So one of the things that I had not mentioned yet that was in the players pack, because they're having their 20th anniversary and you had shared this with me earlier. So I'm very curious to get kind of the lay of the land on it is that in the past, they had a chalked out box where you could tee off from that was sort of a rectangle. And this year they have three square boxes that they're going to have at the front of every hole that you have to play round one on the left, round two in the middle, and round three on the right. So essentially, you're playing from three different tee boxes, and you're doing that twice if you play all six rounds. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, so that was kind of, that was was big news. I mean, that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I Initially, I I I was okay with it, I'll be honest. It quite it actually excited me a little bit. I thought, oh, this is something different. Um, now, granted, I've changed my schedule here to arrive two days earlier, so I'm obviously <laughs> concerned about it. <laughs> so yeah, um, I, I'm fortunate to be able to do that to spend an extra two days at the course, which I think you will need because you know you're essentially learning, well, at least at least 36 new tee positions. Um, so the the players are kind of split on it. I mean, I do really feel for the players who can't get get there until maybe a day before or even on the morning of the tournament. I mean, I mean they've played this course for years and years. I mean they've they've teed off from the exact same point every year, and I'm sure they were expecting to do the same. So I mean, the people who can't change their schedules, I mean, it's going to be tough. It's just, they're literally going into the unknown. I mean. I don't think, I mean, I don't think anyone would have chosen to tee off at the far right side on hole three, for an example. I mean, it's, you, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't have even considered it. So, yeah, you, you're going to need to practice some of these, uh, some of these new tee positions. Cause hole number three, if I'm correct, has that little like piece of cement down the middle, splitting the hole that a lot of people are playing to the left of it. Yeah, that's right. So you'd always play it on the left side because it, it moves left to right. Mm-hmm. Um, so literally, I mean, if you play it down the right side, it's just going to move tail off to the right. So you, you're going to have to come off the wall somehow, um, which I've never really at all experimented with. So, mm. um, And that's, that's going to be the same for the middle as well because, again, you're starting the, the primary the preferred tee position is on the left. So right. even that middle position, you're going to have to uh, probably bank it off the left wall. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, and this is sort of a inside baseball thing, especially for people that haven't played competitive mini golf all that much. But it's not preferred by a good number of players to play multiple courses in a tournament just because it's so hard for outsiders to really have a chance and learn all of those courses. I know that's been a criticism of the masters where there's three fully different courses that also like any of these courses change every year, whether it's the turf, it's the cups. Sometimes in the case of pineapple course at the masters, they put berms over the back of the holes and they cover up some of the bricks. So adding, you know, an extra element to this course really does change how it's played for those who've played it for a while. So I guess the extra practice will be really valuable. It's going to be interesting too, because I imagine some people on some holes would start on the left and some in the middle and some on the right. So no 
round is really going to feel like playing it normal because normal would be all over the tee box, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, no round will be will be comfortable because, like you said, some some places you're going to start from the left, some places you people start on the right. So, I mean, I originally thought with with the new holes being refelted, obviously the scores would drop down, but this was before the the whole tee position change. So, I think naturally the scores are going to come up from last year. Um, so yeah, who knows? I mean, just going through my head, I guess, I guess the middle T would be the lowest scoring round on average, I'd imagine, because hmm. um, primarily you want to start from the middle-ish hmm. of each hole. Obviously, some holes, you know, are exceptions, but um, and then yeah, right and left hand sides. Who knows? I mean. Maybe a 36, 37 could be a good score. Huh. Well, it bodes well for folks like me and Robin and Aaron Kaminsky and Josh Mars coming down or coming from down in Australia that we're all going to be playing for our very first time. Uh, given that we're all going to Hastings for our first time and some of us to the UK for our very first time, what I'm looking for some tips in Hastings. And I'm going to start with a really basic one what's your go-to from like the snack shop either on the course or next to the course so yeah definitely take advantage of the uh the discount so hastings hastings provide a discount it's a week-long discount uh 50 off their snack uh, snack places and 25 percent off uh the restaurant which is kind of fish and chips that type of thing um so yeah, always get your drinks from there. Super cheap, great deal. I mean, I like the crepes, chocolate, mm. chocolate and strawberry crepes. I always go for those. They're probably my go-to kind of dessert. I I, I guess you'd call it. I mean, although I do have it for in the in the early morning. <laughs> so. I, I I know this well, having having played at the city golf tournament with Sevi, uh, Voita, and Andrew. As my roommates, we ate at this amazing Greek bakery that they had hyped up in advance, and they were not wrong. Everything was amazing there. And weirdly, I was the only person, I think, and 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 regrettably the only person in our group that did not get cake before playing. And my wife is like, why weren't you getting cake? And it's like, you know, honestly, I was so nervous and just not thinking right that I should have just had cake. But alas, so... uh Crepes at a crepes at a mini golf course yeah. sounds amazing. One last kind of stupid question because I live in the Midwest, but I've asked this to my wife, and she's like, "You wouldn't do that on the East Coast, anyways, in June." But since the Hastings course is on the sea, does anybody ever go swimming? Uh, uh, yeah, you do get some total crazy people swimming in the English Channel. Yes. Um, <laughs> It's not, um, I mean, it's not a kind of a traditional sandy beach. It's all, it's a rocky beach. So it's, you don't get really any sunbathers or anything like that. But you get, you get, you know, people strolling down the beach, but, um, yeah, it's just, just cold. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of doing it. Well, if I somehow can have a pretty good finish, I might jump in. 
Uh, I think that's going to be... That's good, yeah. If you win the tournament, you will jump in the sea. <laughs> and I will join you on that. <laughs> if I win the tournament, I I don't know that my brain will be in the space to even like get to the water. I think I'll pass out on the spot. I, I think, I think if, even if I had somehow shot the moon and one novice, I would be absolutely, I'd be absolutely chuffed to use a, a very <laughs> British uh, term. I would be just thrilled. I am so looking forward just to playing in this, just to experiencing it. I know from recent tournaments, my scores can be still all over the place, but knowing people like you that are out there that have played for a long time and your scores are just going to vary, it, it, it's helpful. And just knowing a bunch of the people that are going to be playing either from already having met them like you and a number of the people from the UK that were in Sweden or other people who've been really kind online, I'm just, I'm excited to get the whole vibe of it and try it out so uh i guess i'll see you in a in a few weeks and let's uh let's give you a chance before um we finish this interview i want you to kind of also talk about what are some of the things that you have going on not only on the mini golf course that your family owns gloucester aces but tell me a, a little bit about putt 1k oh yeah so putt 1k um Started that myself, uh, Richard, Richard Maud, and James Short. Uh, it was just essentially different type of tournament, a, a tournament with uh, a, a higher, higher buy-in, a higher entry fee, um, just just so we could offer kind of more prize money. Really, just we don't have too many events in the UK to have um, higher prize funds, so we thought, you know, we we thought there'd be interest there. Um, for people to compete for um, our top prize uh, of a thousand pounds, which is kind of our uh, USP, I guess. Each tournament, uh, there's a chance for you to win, you know, one thousand um, pounds. Like I said, the the entry fee is a bit on the higher side, but nothing unreasonable. I mean, which I is is it ninety pounds? No, so it's seventy five pounds, so. which is not bad. If you take a no. look at some of the U.S. tournaments that are fairly high priced, and how many rounds are the tournaments usually running at? Yeah, so we kind of we're trying to focus on giving giving you you know a lot of rounds, but in a in a one day one day setting. So if it's if it's an eighteen hole course, it would be uh, six rounds, three in the morning, three in the afternoon. Um, a tournament coming up is actually on a on a real putting grass, so it's kind of a configured twelve hole course. So for twelve holes, we'll be doing eight rounds: four in the morning, four in the afternoon. Wow, very cool. Well, that might have to be a trip number two for me to the UK to play some mini golf, but I'm excited, and we'll definitely have a report back afterwards. And I think hopefully. We'll be talking to Sevi about a strong finish, but either way, I think we'll have you back on the podcast to talk about how it went, but especially if you uh, win it. So uh, see you in a few weeks, Sevi. Yep, see you in a few weeks, Tom. Look forward to it. And you can putt when ready. Once again, thank you to Sevi for giving us your time on a Saturday afternoon. We recorded a little bit even before we recorded this podcast and you'll notice we didn't do a full bio on Sevi. It's not because we weren't interested in 
all of his history with the game. But in fact, he's done uh, an episode with our friends over at the 54 Problems podcast back in October, their episode number 17. We have a link in our show notes and we'd recommend checking it out. I'm certain we'll have Seve on again. He's one of the top mini golf players in the UK right now. He's their number one ranked player and just a treat of a human being. So we'll have him on again. But uh, as promised, we're going to jump back in to the competitive mini golf. And Pat, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, some upcoming events, including Wagam, which will probably happen before the next time we record an episode so that's this episode's gonna go long folks <laughs> yeah because you, you'll be in europe and so we won't be back in time but yeah. to touch on this but we've talked about the world of venture golf masters before on here but just a quick recap you know that this is the premier international tournament for the adventure style golf it is primarily a you know country team competition but there's obviously individual stuff and so it's been held yearly i think since 2011 i should really know this as a right. representative nope, that's totally um, right it's the one that i played in 2019 in sweden so um, this year as a reminder it's, it's being played over in austria they, they actually were supposed to have it in 2020 so this is kind of their delayed um, COVID pickup here. It's held from June 16th to the 18th. They'll have a couple of official practice days beforehand. But the cool thing is, is the WMF, we just announced what the um, registration list was for this. And we have a record number of players for Wagon this year. It's 116 total players. So largest contingent in the history that's made up of 107 players officially representing their countries and we have nine club players, so there's the ability to kind of play as an individual. Um, once the, like Austria being the home team, they've already filled up their team contingent. They have a few players playing as club. Uh, the U.S. team, very excited to see that Olivia is going over as our club representative in addition to the folks who are playing on the team there. So we've got nine club players. In total, there's 12 countries represented, which is a good number for that. Um, from a team perspective, the way it all mixes up with those players, we'll have 24 actual official national teams playing against each other for the team final. And I don't know if this is also a record for numbers, but it is pretty high in that they have 21 female identifying players. So that's going to result also in 21 mixed pairs for that competition. And I, I know that's much higher than I think we had for Wagam in Sweden. I can't remember what Finland was last year, but it, it's good numbers all around. Um, it's an interesting course. It's going to be a little bit longer than the past couple of Wagams. So I would expect mm -hmm. the scores are a little bit higher. There's been not as much played on there. Um, mm -hmm. I know I think the Swedes did some recon <laughs> a little bit earlier, but really excited. Yeah, the checks I mean, in Austria. Yeah, so I, I don't know exactly what we're going to have or what there will be out there from the WMF or the organizers over there for live streaming, but the, the WMF Instagram and Facebook pages will definitely have pictures and some sort of video content. So be sure to follow them as we get into June so we can see who comes up on top. I have no no bets or <laughs> odds home here. country i mean obviously yeah uh, usually the home country <laughs> has the best uh best setup there but i do know 
like um, I'm pretty sure Rick Baird has been over there for the U.S. A couple yep. of U.S. guys have have played it too. So good luck to everybody there, and we will definitely recap that when we get back to the the pod here afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then staying in the international realm, and we bring this one up uh, because it sort of kind of impacts a little bit what we're doing with the AMA. We had the Finnish Adventure Golf Masters or the Fiagum which was held uh, May 20th to the 21st in Belo and Puisto, which was the home of Wagam last year. Uh, they had 22 players. They played a six-round tournament. And importantly, this is the first stop of the WMF World Adventure Golf Tour, which we have talked about our Matterhorn International Pro-Am as part of the AMA is the U.S. stop of that. So it's been interesting. Now we can start to follow along and see. So probably going to absolutely butcher Marco's last name here, but uh, Marco Nuotio, maybe? Mm, I don't that know. doesn't sound finished enough, but I don't know that I would even dare touch Finnish. It is a very challenging language, so kudos to people who are better than me trying it. <laughs> My New England pseudo-Boston tongue is not equipped for that, so Marco, I absolutely apologize that I've done that. Um, but he grabbed the win, um, seven stroke win over the six rounds, 28.5 average, pretty good for that course is about what we saw with scores with Wagam, but that earned him the very first auto bid to the WAG tour final in 2024. And you can go to the, the tour website. We'll have that link again in the, the show notes and, and follow along. So now our U S players are going to get a sense of the competition. I will say so far on that website, Excellent. And Tom, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at any of the recap stuff. It, they've done a bunch of stuff in mm-hmm. Power Not BI, yet. all sorts of statistics for lane huh. holes and individual players, how they did through the tournament and everything. And it was up like the day after the tournament. So wow. kudos to Andrew over at 54 Problems, who's really one of the driving forces behind the tour and the website and everything. And hopefully... Um, we can keep that up with the others, which a uh, high standard. I got to make sure I'm getting them all the stuff for Matterhorn appropriately, but really cool to see that at an international level. And yeah. um, we'll be looking forward to the rest of the, the ones this summer. There's a couple more events before it comes home for us. Yeah. And weirdly keeping in an international theme with our next tournament that happened since the last pod May 7th and 8th was the most recent Pop Stroke Tour Series event in Sarasota where they held their big championship event last October. And we told you in advance there were going to be a bunch of the Swedes coming over. And guess what? It was another sweep. Uh, Hans Olofsson finished in his final round of individual stroke play with the lowest round of 32 across, the th- uh, what is it, four rounds of stroke play. He beat Tim Talley and Nate Nichols by a single stroke. Comes back with a 32. The aces weren't really falling as bad. And so a 32 was one of the lower rounds for the entire tournament, including the high roller. So tied for fourth, we had a lot of very familiar names. We had Greg Newbart. We had Gunnar Bankson. We had Jacob Staz. Rusty Taylor, Jeremy Anabinet, Randy Reeves, and Chris Johnson, who was Staz's partner when they beat Paul Kramer and Ricky Fowler at that tour championship in Sarasota a while back. So a huge, huge group of people tying for six, along with Matthias Hogloaf, who I'm definitely not forgetting, 
And then we had a number of other Swedes who all did quite well. We had uh, Alexander Molina, who tied for 12th, as well as Ricard Lochner and Kevin Sundstrom, who played their six Swedes that played in this tournament of about 60 or so people, all of them definitely in the top half, and as you heard, many of them in the top six. And then our guest, Sevi Kukielka, tied for 19th, just above two of the Swedes that I had mentioned, Ricard Lochner and Kevin Sundstrom. And then there was a special high roller event. And so what they had in advance of the high roller event that was kind of strange is that they had a qualifying event that I believe was two to three rounds. Uh, I think it was three. That was in advance of all of the tournament that the people that were playing, planning on playing in the high roller would play in this, and the top score would get free entry into this high roller event that I believe was a $2,500 buy-in this time around. Right, Pat? That sounds right. It was a lot. To end, but it was less than the 5,000 it was before. So Hans Olvesen went in and had already won that before he won stroke play and went into the high roller and he ended up tying two other Swedes, Mat- Matthias Hogloff and Kevin Sundstrom, tied with 106 over three rounds. They crushed it. And I guess. The tiebreaker first hole was number 15, um, uh, or Matthias, I should say. I think I've been saying Matthias and Matthias. It's Matthias won it, and then Hans won the next tiebreaker to take second. So Hans only took second in the high roller after taking first in the stroke play event <laughs> and having taken fourth in a really competitive event in Sumbiberg. So, uh, yeah, the golf bar- the golf baron... Um, Hans Olofsson is having one hell of a year uh, and doing really well in the pop stroke courses. But yeah, that was pop stroke Sarasota. We had another really long list of pros. If you look up and down that list, I'm looking at it again here really quickly. And it was a little bit more than 60 now that I look at it because there were a chunk of people that were on that cut list. But even if you look at that cut list, you have a Brad Lebo, you have um, uh, down the list, Randy Orr, you have David Cargetta. These are people that they're not like new to competitive putting events. And they just got to play two rounds for their, I think it was $250 entry fee. And so this is the thing that Pat and I keep talking about, and I'm like, well, maybe I should check it out to have the experience, but it's a lot of money for not a lot of mini golf. No, or we could pay, what, what was yours, $35, 40 bucks. I played three rounds 30. and uh, probably had a lot more fun doing that than <laughs> going. Also, not being in any of the Florida heat, I appreciate as well. I heard it was hot. And so their next event, speaking of heat, is going to be in Houston (laughs) slash Katy, Texas, July 16th and 17th. And then there's a Glendale event in September. And what I was updated that I found to be kind of strange information was, is that the Tour Championship in Scottsdale has been moved now all the way back to the 12th and 13th of November, which is only notable for me because I like to go to Iceland for the Airwaves Music Festival 
in November, and it's the same weekend as the Pop Troke Tour Championship. So when I saw that date change, it really caught for me. But it's part of kind of a year of Pop Stroke where they had a great event in Sarasota last year. Huge turnout, team's event, did a thing on the Golf Channel. But now they're they're kind of moved around almost every event this year. They were supposed to have both doubles and singles events. They've only had singles events, and they've only had high roller in a couple of them. So I think both of us are going to be really curious to see what happens. I would tell you that the Swedes would be silly not to keep coming back and mm. taking that money home. I mean, it pays for their trips, and they're good putters, and they like the challenge, and they like the courses. So why not? I think the big challenge for keeping the whole thing going is how long, and we've been saying this since the beginning, how long are people going to pay 250 bucks when all they're getting is two rounds of mini golf? I mean, maybe the people want that competition, but I don't know. I wouldn't do it more than once. And even then I'm like, do I want to go to Iceland for a music festival that I really enjoy or spend $250 to feel like I just got my ass kicked in mini golf and I got to watch some other people like, as an experience right. for where I'm at in my game, it kind of doesn't make sense. And there's other tournaments, frankly, out there that maybe I'd opt to play instead because, I don't know, Arizona's not the top of my list. Scottsdale's not a place that I'm like, oh, where do I want to go in the world? Scottsdale, Arizona. It's, it's really great if you want to be a go- I mean, they're tapping into the golfer market, right? Because Scottsdale's a great place to, to be a golfer. Yeah, and I was thinking about it too, you know, for, at least for us. And, you know, and I know we're a little unique in the competitive realm too, but it's like, I'm not going to end up having conversations there that bring more people into the fold or anything. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, obviously, even really get to meet new people because it's all people I already mm-hmm. know. And that was one of the cool things about going out and playing your tournament is I got to meet a bunch of new people who are, you know, relatively new to the competitive space and be able to push the broader game and have those conversations like that. That's not happening at Pop Stroke. So a little bit of the, like ancillary stuff just isn't as fun for me either. So I don't know. We, we talk about it every time we bring up pop stroke, we'll see if one of us actually get down there, but um, it's just yeah, a different guess, thing. Yeah. I mean, like and for me traveling this, this summer, I, I was asking Pat and some other people like what's going on in July. I have a work break. I have two weeks where our work's closed and my wife still has work and I want to take advantage of having these big, swaths of time off and I don't play putt-putt but if I traveled down to High Point North Carolina I would get to play in two four-round tournaments over two separate days and if I went there a little early I could play in a local league night which is kind of what I did in Sweden and to me there is that appeal as someone who's still very much working on their game and loves to play mini golf, but is realistic about where they're going to land, you know, at this point in their life. It's like, I'd rather play more and go for the camaraderie and experience and uniqueness. I don't know that the uniqueness is going to come out in pop stroke. I played two in Florida that I'm overdue to review along with a bunch of other courses on a couple of putts. But I'll be honest, that review that I'm doing for the Orlando pop stroke when we review courses, I'm usually like pulling out hole after hole and talking about unique things. It kind of all blends together. 
if you look at one pop stroke course, I don't know that they're that distinguishable from each other. And I think even for big golf, people can see that really naturally. They're like, this place has this big body of water. It's super, super subtle and in the deep, deep, deep weeds of competitive mini golfers where the pop stroke courses differentiate themselves. And that's not a bad thing, but it is not for everybody. And it's not going to stand out for everybody. So, yeah, I don't know. And I guess we can kind of keep an international theme because this next tournament is the first place I believe I met Hans Olofsson when he came over and played the old Odita mini golf tournament back in the day when Gary was running it and obviously was also beating us handily in those tournaments sometimes. Well, sometimes, <laughs> not all the times, but pretty sure that was the first time I met Hans. But uh, our friend Gary Schiff is back running the Odita mini golf classic up here in Connecticut. Um, it is being held on June 4th. Unfortunately, I won't be able to play just because of some timing of some other family stuff, although I will be doing something mini golf related on that day, which I'm going to pitch next. But he, um, Gary has always had interesting ways of um, doing his tournaments. He kind of keeps them pretty fresh. Some of them have been pretty straightforward, but he's returning to some of his roots here where, and I, I really like most of this format um, he's doing three rounds of stroke play which kind of gets you your seating for a match play round after that so they're almost like warm-up rounds to get you to the course you get seated you kind of match play down to the the final four and this year he's doing for the final four and aces only final round so that final four round should move pretty quick it'll be really interesting to see how many aces win because it was a very low amount of aces that won his aces only round last year um, that we had it kind of in between when he was receding and that Odita course, while almost all of the holes on that course have a path that can be hit for an ace, like hole 18 is really tough. Hole seven, that I mean, is. is one of the ones where you got to like do a double knock round and hope it doesn't go in the water and goes in. But the rest of the mm -hmm. holes, you know, are pretty decent lines and everything, but they're not easy to do consistently. And even back in the day, pre when they recarpeted it, it was it was hard to get more than a couple holes or one in an individual round. Um, I think it's cool because I think people will be taking some more aggressive shots and everything. And I don't think he's done a tournament this way where we've done the final fours and aces only. We've definitely done the stroke play, match play, final four, but usually we played a full round to figure out the winner. Um, I, it's almost, um, and like an appreciation tournament too. So anybody who'd ever played in one of his tournaments beforehand or our tournament that we held there gets free yeah. entry, which I think is really cool. And I know he's got a pretty good list of people signed up. I think he already has the link over on squeaky bagel to, to follow along, but the penguin will be represented. Mandy's going to be playing there that day. And I know we'll have a lot nice. of the other. Good mini golfers. I know highlighters are already planning to be there. I think Matt Lyles is is coming over there as well. So hopefully Probably the weather Justin holds up. Seymour. Yeah, we'll see a lot of the the Connecticut names um, get there. So I'll, I'll be with them in spirit, and I really wish I could be there. But to wrap up our recap here, I'm gonna have one final pitch, and that's I will be at the Kensington Berlin Rotary Club charity event later on that afternoon. They run an event here at Safari Golf, which is like five minutes from my house. Um, this is the fifth year, I believe, they're doing it. I haven't had a chance to do it in person. 
before. I've helped them out with some of the organization and stuff, but it's going to be 2 to 5 p.m. there. I will be there to support. I actually nice. saw the ad that they ran today and kind of the local weekly shopper thing that features me prominently as the professional miniature <laughs> golfer. So no pressure there, but they're a really great group of people. I'm so happy to support them. I know they love the mini golf stuff. I've talked to them before. I did a video with them and everything. And um, this is a pretty good event for them. So excited to help out the local course. community. Yeah. Safari golf is a really cool course. I, I really have to Glad put in we the went time. Last year to play safari golf as if I was playing it as like a tournament course. Sure. Cause I don't have a sense of like what my best score is. I don't have anything charted, sure. but I've played it like 10 times easily, if not more than that, given the location, but usually it's with my kids and I'm not paying attention to anything that I'm doing. But I will say I was super happy that the, the ACE, that I did for their video for promoted. I did do it on the very first shot, although it was probably the same exact distance as my distractor putt. And I'm kicking myself, you know, four years later for not making, <laughs> but it's cool. And I'm happy. And, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be a good weekend for mini golf. There's a lot going on. I think there's even some other charity events that the putting penguin had put up nice. recently on our Facebook page too, in Connecticut. So the, yeah, plenty, plenty of chances to get out and enjoy mini golf the weekend after Memorial Day here. Odita and Safari, two on the long, a couple of putts backlog of <laughs> course reviews. I don't think we reviewed anything from Connecticut. I think we're still wrapping up stuff from the Jersey Shore the previous two years. We're just adding to it and going to the UK is not going to help and playing a couple in Paris won't help, but mm. I'm not going to also complain because I'll have a long winter to go through them and before we close out, I did not put this in our notes, but we should mention that we will not have an episode before the MC Mini Masters, which will be happening on Saturday, June 24th. You can go back and listen to our episode last year, about a year ago from right now with Mick Cullen. The tournament always finishes the day at parking. And if my guests and kind of conversations with Mick are going to dictate probably where it is. My guess is it's probably going to be held at America's Action Territory to start, followed by Kristoff's and then two rounds at Parking. There's three courses at American Action Territory. So the, that's how you get to six rounds. But um, we don't have any more detail, but as soon as we get them from Mick, we'll have those up as soon as far in advance as possible as we can get. I'll be playing in that. My wife, Robin, the Pink Putter, will be playing in that. And I think there'll be some people from Puttcraft to be playing that, including Matt Rolstad, who won the coziest and came in third at the looniest. So getting some people traveling and earning points and excited about that. And uh, yeah, I, there's a lot of mini golf going on weirdly in that period of time. And then we kind of hit a little bit of a lull. So we'll be doing a lot of recapping when we have a podcast sometime in late June or July? June, yeah. Try to get one we'll, out before July 4th. Let's let's throw that on the schedule. <laughs> we'll put it on the schedule because we have to, because I might also travel around July 4th. Mm, so we'll, we'll, by then I'll know where I'm going next. Um, the itchy feet year for Mr. T is in full effect. But Pat, uh, before we close this out, why don't you talk about uh, one of our sponsors that helps make the AMA run? Yeah, so our premier sponsor here, Walkabout, not only helps make the AMA run, but is also a gold sponsor of the WMF. So they are making the whole worldwide sport of mini golf run. 
Uh, they and let are, me cut you off. Have... Let me cut Whoa. you off. They're also <laughs> sponsoring two That's teams right. at the World Crazies, the Bogey Boys that I'm playing on with Sebi Kukielka and Steven Skinner and the Sweetopians, who's my wife, the Pink Putter, Steven Skinner's wife, who I don't remember her name, and Emzerg, who plays on Walkabout, whose name is Gary. So... Sorry for the interruption. No. But walkabouts that's... all over the place. And they're even going to be in the UK. We might even cross paths with them outside of Texas, which is wild. Yeah. And we've been, obviously, we talked about at Loon's Nest. We've got players coming over into the real life and we are shifting people over to virtual. This is the, the partnership that we have wanted with Walkabout is getting people from both ends uh, crossing over into the different real life and metaverse uh, worlds here. So, if you don't know, if, if you're listening to this and somehow don't know, obviously the VR mini golf experience, it's one of the most loved, most talked about multiplayer games in virtual reality, always on the top of the lists in terms of best games that are out there. It's available on a variety of platforms now also on the PlayStation VR, which I know is a big um, boost for them in terms of the user base. We use it over at the MetaQuest. And so there's a lot of different opportunities there. The base game is great. It gives you 16 courses, uh, but the expansion courses have really been in its right. They've got the co-branded ones with Labyrinth and Mist. They've announced the ones that they're going to be doing with Meow Wolf. Um, most recently, the course that is currently launched is Temple at Zerzoot. Yeah, this one's a tongue twister. <laughs> most it's recently the Egyptian-themed course. <laughs> is the Egyptian-themed <laughs> course. Temple at Zerzura, uh, which is... Absolutely massive. And then I think it was this week, it might have been late last week, they announced that the second in their Jules Verne series, which they have the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea course, which I've really liked that one in the submarine, but they're doing Journey to the Center of the Earth. So that will be available in the next couple of weeks, roughly here. It seems like what they announced because everybody was really excited when they put out that. And I saw on one of them, I can't remember if it was Instagram or Twitter, or like, no, 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 it's not out yet, but it's coming soon. And so. Um, I mean, they're just cranking them out every six weeks at this point. So get in on that. The, the cost, I still think if you bought every single download that they have, you're still probably less than if you're going out and buying Halo or any of those games here and you will have so much. It's almost to the point now I don't know what to play and I just let random yes. take me to a course because there's just so much and so I want to play all of it and I've got like 45 minutes. <laughs> And and uh, on top of their sponsorship, uh, they've been sending us some swag, and we just got some in the mail. And they sent us some unique walkabout T-shirts that look amazing, some beer koozies, as well as some stickers. And then on top of it, at a couple of the upcoming tournaments for the AMA, we're going to be giving away some of the download codes for some of the additional courses that are outside the base level. And we're also going to give away the base level of walkabout. So thanks to them for really giving us fun stuff to give away that's highly desirable. Like for us to have extra little prizes and tournaments like we have from them and One Shot Golf and Putt 18 is great for us. Like part of the reason we choose them as sponsors because we can say, here's some prizes of things that we'd want ourselves. And in many cases, we use and play them so it it it's like an easy easy sponsorship read when you're just like <laughs> yeah i have this it's not like oh i got this mattress da, 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 you right. know and we i don't gotta pretend to like blue apron and, da, 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 and it's like well no like we actually 
enjoy these things. So uh, walk about. You're great. We love you. And uh, we're glad for this partnership. And uh, that's enough for me. Yeah, we'll wrap up this episode as we always do with our Big Thoughts Mini Golf. So kind of tacking on to some of the discussion I had before in terms of charity and stuff. But I just really, really want to use this time, this episode to encourage anyone who's listening, who's in this competitive mini golf sphere with us to make sure that you're actually getting out to these local community events, connecting with those who enjoy the game. There's so many local charity events these days, library mini golfs, pub crawls, downtown things, events like Tom's doing with the state fair. Find those organizers, reach out to them. You know, if you can donate, if you can play. But what I've found is just most importantly, let them know that they have a support of the support, somebody that they can talk to about, you know, how to do things, setting up events. Um, and then, you know, who knows? You may end up on the local TV, you may end up in your local newspaper. But it's amazing what these connections can do. And it's really one of the best ways for us to promote and grow the competitive side of the game. And with that, we're at the 19th hole. So until next time, putt one ready.